Welcome, you're listening to Season 2 of But Seriously, What is Engineering? A podcast series from the University of Queensland where we explore all corners of engineering. We'll be covering a range of specialisations and exciting engineering careers through our special guests with an aim to open your eyes to just one more part of the wide world of engineering by the time this episode is finished. Spoiler alert, it's not just about bridges and buildings. This episode is hosted by two of the University of Queensland's Women in Engineering student leaders. My name is Asandi Culligalagay and I'm in my third year of studying a Bachelor of Engineering, majoring in Electrical and minoring in Data Science. And my name is Laura Musgrave and I'm in my second year of a Bachelor of Engineering with an Integrated Masters of Engineering, specialising in Mechatronics. Today we'll be talking to Dr Therese Milford. Therese is a senior engineer working in the Intelligent Grid new technology team at Energex and Ergon Energy. Energex and Ergon are Queensland's distribution networks and the team develops business solutions to improve customer choice and provide cost competitive alternatives to traditional network investment. Dr. Therese Milford is currently working on solutions to dynamically manage distributed energy resources, such as batteries and rooftop solar, to enable more of these energy resources to be safely connected to the grid. Welcome to the podcast, Therese. Thank you. Thanks for having me. To start off the questions, we were wondering if you could explain the next generation technology development to our listeners. Sure. Next generation technology, I suppose, because that's it probably sounds like a fairly meaningless term when you just have it in isolation like yeah, that. Yeah. But with respect to the um, power distribution industry, I suppose what we're trying to get at is um, not the, the giant oil-filled pieces of metal, the transformers or the power lines or the poles. Sort of that's, that's what I sort of think of as the traditional elements of, of the network. And sort of next generation, we're looking more... Um, particularly harnessing things like power electronics. So there's a lot of inverter technology nowadays that um, I guess is more intelligent or has the capability to be more intelligent. So lots of things out on the network these days can also collect data. Communications have improved considerably um, o o over the decades. So, you know, we can have devices out there that are sending us back data so we can get more real-time information about what's happening on the network. New generation or next generation technologies, so that's sort of where we're talking about. And in particular nowadays, um, Sandy, I know you mentioned like dis um, distributed energy resources, so DER, we're talking things about um, photovoltaic uh, panels that you'll see all around on people's rooftops, um, people will have electric vehicles or batteries, those sorts of things, as well as being in the home. Um, some of them, particularly looking at batteries, will be uh, adopted on the, on the grid as well. Can you tell us a little bit about your role at Energex and Ergon Energy? Uh, my role is in the Intelligent Grid New Technology team. And I guess as far as the company goes, that's probably as close as you'll get to um, R&D or research and development. Um, so I know a lot of big companies will have R&D sort of arms that, you know, particularly in defence or space, they'll invest a lot of money in that. Um, the network's less so, uh, but there is a small team of us who are really looking at what is emerging, um, you know, what is coming out. So, you know, as I said, things like batteries, um, how to integrate solar, what are those inverters and what can they do for us, more advanced control systems, how are we dealing with stability on the network. So the grid is very much operating based on having um, matching load and demand. So the amount of power people need, that's being provided somewhere by a generator. And if that gets too far out of whack, um, then the whole grid can sort of go black. So looking at technology to help um, maintain stability through this 
um, emergence and adoption of renewable energy resources, which, you know, the sun is there, then there's a cloud and the, the generation will drop away. So somehow we need, to, we need to keep things going. We might run field trials. So we'll take a, a physical product. We'll say, okay, you know, how are we going to install it in the field? Um, how are we going to maintain it? What tests are we going to run? What data analytics do we sort of um, collect then afterwards? and to ascertain whether it has, is going to be beneficial for the network, whether it's done what we think it's going to do and whether it's going to be a cheaper than an, an existing method, like it's upgrading a transformer. Is this sort of new regulation technology going to be a cheaper, better option than, than that transformer? So we'll, yeah, we'll delve into things like that. The team is also involved generally with the more outward facing projects. So myself, I've been fortunate enough to be the Energy Queensland or the Energex Enogon representative on some projects funded by the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, so ARENA. Mm. So they're giving money out to, yeah, to help get renewables onto the network. Um, so some of those projects, uh, yeah, generally there'll be various industry representatives as well as universities. Um, so, you know, the University of Queensland, QUT, I've been involved in a few now and we'll, we'll need sort of company representative to help provide data, provide network information and, and that industry view. So that is also has sort of some spin-off opportunities for conferences. So I'll find myself of having presented at, at conferences here and there as well. So it's, it's a very diverse mix of, um, I guess, the type of work that, that the team does. And the ultimate goal, I guess, is once we've done the evaluations and the testing or the trialing, we push it into the business as, as a BAU or business as usual sort of solution mm. that then the planners or the reliability team or the field guys can just um, sort of roll out as part of their, their normal day to day from that point on. I think it's really interesting to think about how much work is actually involved um, in going to put like renewable energy out into the grid because it sounds really simple, integrate renewables, but that's actually a lot of work um, and communications going into it. So. Yeah, and I imagine like a lot of those issues you were talking about are kind of just emerging like as more research is being done and things are like more rapidly changing and I guess that just would make the space like such an exciting place to be, particularly in research and development kind of at the forefront of all of this like critical change that has to happen pretty rapidly, um, I, I guess I would say. People first started putting solar on the rooftops, this, you know, probably going back 10 years or so. I think the industry was maybe hit a little bit sort of <laughs> out. like we did not realize how rapidly that was going to be adopted and and you know how eager people were to really you know put pv on the roof um to be able to generate power themselves and so you know there'll be pockets of the network where the amount of solar in an area is just so high that there's a lot of energy being pushed back out of those customers back upstream and that's never how the network was designed to operate in the beginning. We always had power coming from the giant generators in the middle of Queensland um, through the transmission lines so that you see, you know, running across the, the country and then down into the distribution network, sort of running down every street and into the house. And now we have power coming from the house <laughs> back out into the network. And so there are things, protection devices that, that are generally there to monitor and make sure things are safe that may need to be changed or, or also the network can't push more power in one direction than it could you know originally the way the way that data power was flowing to the customers it's not as if it can suddenly push more power back in the other direction so oh, wow. yeah when when that 
PV penetration goes up, it's really something that we need to start looking at how we can, I guess, better manage that. Because we, we want the renewables, ultimately, if we're going to achieve those, you know, carbon, carbon emissions aims and 50% of renewables by yes. 2030, I think is the Queensland government goal. Um, so we want the renewables there, but I think, and some of the work that I'm doing is looking at ways that we can better integrate them trying to tap into that whole dynamic nature of renewables that you know one moment it's there one moment it's not someone's just yeah. plugged in an electric vehicle so there's a big load there now just trying to have better oversight of that and manage it a little bit better so i know your educational background is in mechanical and space engineering and you did a phd in that area so how did you find yourself in this energy industry yeah, it's certainly not something that I had planned out like 20 years ago yeah. when I was starting my engineering career. Um, ultimately, was making choices to do things that seemed interesting at the time. And I guess and that's why, you know, I got into mechanical and space engineering um, and partly what inspired me, and it probably sounds very geeky, but I saw the movie Apollo 13 when I was oh, at high school. Such a good film. And the scene where you had, you know, there was a crisis happening on the spaceship because the carbon dioxide levels are going up and unless they can figure out how to filter out the carbon dioxide you know the astronauts are all going to black out and die and they just sort of dumped this pile of stuff on a table in front of this team of engineers and said okay we got to figure out how to make you know this round filter fit into this square canister using that and sort of uh, that sort of really hit me I was like wow imagine having people who can you know work through a problem like that that seems really cool so I guess that's probably what kind of opened my eyes to to the idea of engineering and problem solving in that way. Mm -hmm. um, so I did the um, Bachelor of Mechanical and Space Engineering here at UQ. And then I guess my, my the, the lecturers, and one of them, you know, encouraged me to then look at doing a PhD. Um, and so I thought, oh, yeah, you know, why not? I'm still at uni, you know. <laughs> I don't know what earning money out in the real world seems like yeah. yet. So I applied and was fortunate to get an Australian Postgraduate Award. I studied PhD in the area of metals flammability. So there's a whole field looking at the flammability of structural metals. So the metal that makes up scuba diving equipment or you know high pressure oxygen systems. And if the oxygen concentration is high enough and the pressure is high enough, you know you have a particulate running around that system, and all of a sudden the the metal components of the system can ignite and then burn, and then just sustain the fire indefinitely. And obviously my supervisor was had worked at NASA, and so that's obviously very front of mind to them because the last thing you would want up in space is a fire. Mm -hmm. um, so it was again, and that's something that even doing my bachelor's degree, it's like, well, there's a whole area of people and labs <laughs> looking at this very specific little topic. Um, I finished the bachelor's like, oh, okay, what am I going to do now? I did have a brief dabbling into project management. That was for about nine months while my PhD was getting um, assessed mm -hmm. and reviewed. And honestly, because I think I thought, oh, I kind of just almost want a break. And so I sort of did project management work for about nine months. But towards the end of that, I felt the need to pick up a calculator again. Right. <laughs> I felt yeah. like was yes. And then I, yeah, I, someone told me about a job that was going at, at Energex um, at the time. And with a guy who had also done a PhD, but his was in like lightning hitting electrical systems. So his was a little bit more field specific. But I think fortunately then my first manager recognized that there was a lot of other skills that I could bring to a job that wasn't necessarily just having an electrical background or experience. Um, with the network. Um, mind you, after I started, I did do a number of courses in postgraduate electricity supply training um, that were run through QUT, very much industry focused. 
So mm -hmm. the kinds of teams that we have in the business now, there'll be courses on that specific area on planning or line design or reliability. So I did, I, you know, I thought I got out of study, but then I found <laughs> right myself doing, doing more and it's sort of fair enough. And it was really good to give me a bit of a, um, a broad understanding of the different aspects of the industry, given that I wasn't coming in with, with that background. That's really interesting about how you said your PhD in a completely different field helped with your current job. Do you think some of those skills from your PhD were transferable? Absolutely. And I think especially given that, as I said, I now find myself in almost this research and development type area. Some people work well in that space. Some people need a lot more rigor around today. I need to do exactly these five tasks and they're probably going to be not that dissimilar to the five tasks that I did yesterday, just with some different numbers, maybe. So I think some people need a lot more structure and guidance around what they do. And that's just their personality. And they, they are, you know, cope a lot better and perform a lot better under those conditions. Whereas in our team, it's probably a, a little bit more of that self-starter, self-driven. You don't necessarily know what that end answer is going to look like. You, you've kind of got to figure it out along the way. Um, and so I think that mindset probably, you know, through the PhD, which is ultimately this project, you know, you set yourself a bit of a hypothesis at the beginning and then, okay, how am I going to answer this question? Um, I think that sort of mentality and experience probably helped where I am now. And also the communication side of things. So doing PhDs, you've got to communicate your research out to people. So whether that's through papers and publications or, you know, presenting at conferences. And I think again, now where I find myself, especially that it is a bit more of that cutting edge space, I will often find that I'm engaged. Oh, can you tell us a bit more about this or that? And, and so having a, a bit of more of an experience in that um, has helped with where I am now and trying to communicate things, I hope in a somewhat less technical way. <laughs> I think sometimes that works better than others. I think your career definitely highlights the fact that in engineering, you really can end up anywhere, like regardless of what you study, if you're passionate about something, you can end up in pretty much any industry and the skills are transferable. So definitely something cool to highlight, I think. Um, going on a different topic now, um, what does diversity in engineering mean to you? Yes, diversity in anything for me is more, you know, we're all living as part of a community. And so we want workplaces to be reflective of that community and what makes up that community. And so, you know, I guess there's a number of different facets to diversity, whether that's along, you know, gender or race or, you know, sexual orientation, age, religion, like anything like that. I guess we're saying, you know, we're like a melting pot of people. Um, so let's have workplaces that, that are reflective of that and recognising that all individuals are unique and can bring a perspective, um, you know, to, to a problem. So I think that's probably what, what we're trying to get at. Obviously, we're, you know, women in engineering here and, you know, engineering has suffered somewhat from a lack of women um, being, being involved. And I know UQ is doing a lot to try to engage more girls and certainly, you know, Energex and Ergon Energy Network have been sponsors of the UQ Women Engineering Program for, I think, 10 years or so now. And really, because we see that we need that flow of people coming through to, you know, to industry. I've been fortunate to have done, you know, opportunities like this, talking to engineering students, but also having, I've visited a few high schools as well and talking to, talking to, you know, high school students about what they might want to do, trying to, as you said, demystify, you know, yeah. what is engineering? What does that actually mean, you know, in terms of a job? I think sort of engineering, we tend to throw in the, the technical and the maths and, you know, isn't all this cool because in some ways that's what 
we gravitated <laughs> towards and why we did it, but also trying to tap into the social element or the yeah. societal benefits of what engineers um, bring um, to the table and trying to tap into that aspect of it as well in people. It's not just maths, like, yeah. you know, that it, that it is more than that and whether that will also help get, get more females in particular mm. interested. As a woman in your industry, have you faced any challenges like going through your PhD and getting into industry and things like that? I think I had a good group of people around me when I started, like having a manager who's, you know, prepared to back you. And I, I was part of a small team at the beginning um, of my career. And I think, yeah, so that you knowing that they sort of all had your back. And I think once you, if you can have that going into industry, um, then that helps build your confidence as well and get other people to, you know, I guess, recognize you a bit more um, so that then you can sort of more branch out on your own, I guess, and that, that you're definitely, you know, a valuable member of, of the team and have things to contribute. Tracking back to what you were saying about diversity in engineering, I feel like so many girls, when choosing um, what major they're going to do in engineering, gravitate, gravitate towards chemical um, and maybe civil. I would really like like to see more girls in electrical and mechatronic and even software. Do you sort of have some advice for maybe female engineering students choosing their major? Why you should get into like electrical, mechanical, mechatronics? It's challenging because when you're doing your studies, you really don't have a clear idea of what the jobs are connected to Definitely. that, like what people do day to day. And I think. I know sometimes even some, with some of the mechanical things I was doing, I was kind of fearful that like, am I just going to be looking at this rivet and deciding whether I replace this rivet now or whether we can get another two years of <laughs> like maintenance and that sort of thing. But like there is, there is so much more to it. And so looking certainly in the electrical, like when I started in this industry, like I, no way could have I predicted that it would have this renewables boom and, and completely flipping on its head the way that the power distribution system works. You know, definitely don't close off, you know, those kinds of opportunities. And maybe if you do feel like, oh, maybe it's just going to be a bit too boring or whatever it is that's putting you off, see if you can have conversations or go to the guidance council or whatever UQ is, is offering and see if you can be in touch because there are industry parties that we're, you know, they're working with to, to get more of an insight into what the jobs are because there's a lot of exciting stuff to do in those spaces. Awesome. So true because I was definitely very interested in sustainability when I started my degree so I thought chemical enviro might be the way to go and didn't really see myself in a software or electrical stream at all um, but when I became aware of mechatronics and after speaking to some older students, which I would definitely recommend to anyone because it was extremely beneficial, I thought, you know, I might give it a go and I'm absolutely loving it. Yeah, doing my electrical subjects and my software subjects, things that I didn't see myself doing when I started my degree. It has been absolutely amazing. So I think definitely a good point to bring up, um, Sandy, about how we do want to see more women in these areas and hopefully we can bring it up to the same par as the chemical <laughs> yeah. and civil because they're doing really well um, in those specialisations at the moment. So, yeah, hopefully we can catch up yeah. at some point. <laughs> what advice would you give to a university graduate about to enter into their first role? I think the advice that I would give is really just, like, you've got this, <laughs> I think, <laughs> yeah. because, you know, it can, there'd be so much apprehension and nerves, like, going in for making that transition from university to to work and I think, you know, no one, like even myself included, thought 
I could actually do anything. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you, do, you do the study and even if you do well at the study, it's like, okay, but I don't, how do I really actually do something? And I think what you'll find is, you know, either you'll come on board as part of a graduate program and certainly at Energex and Ergon, I know we have a, it's really well thought out, you know, as manager at six month placements with different teams getting, you know, being supervised, gaining an understanding of different areas of the business. So I think you will find that, yeah, you, you have that support and you learn what you need to on, on the way. So like, don't be too fearful that you feel like you don't know anything or can't do anything. Cause I think, yeah, you, you've got the skills. Try to, you know, project an air of confidence, even though you might not <laughs> yeah. be feeling it. L looking for people who, you know, have your back or, or supportive and, and in the, you know, industry when you, when, you, when you make the transition and have a job, having people that you can talk to and support you is probably um, really beneficial. And they'll be, they'll be there, they'll be out there. Yeah. So trying to tap into that. And I guess knowing that, you know, you deserve to be in that role, you know, wherever you've, wherever they've offered you a position, it's like, because they see something in you and they want the best out of you as well. It's not as if they want to sit you there and then put you in the corner and say, off you, off you go. Like they're trying to, you know, nurture your skills as well because they want you, you there for the, you know, for the long haul. I think that's really important for, especially like young female listeners to hear that you do deserve to be in that role. And yeah, just project that confidence because that's something that I know a lot of male engineering students are very good at doing. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's definitely important to remind, myself included, but everyone around you, that you do deserve to be there and you do have the skills. It's such an important thing to remember. We've spoken about graduates, but as an undergraduate, what kind of advice would you give to someone who maybe isn't sure about what in industry they're interested in or how they can get like, started in the industry in general? I think like talking to people, definitely just trying to reach out and see what, what are those contacts that either through yourselves or friends, friends or through the university and what they can arrange. Trying to, yeah, talk to people to get an understanding of what, what those different jobs are. Or even if you think you see someone that I think what they do is really cool, like see if you can get an understanding of, well, what is their background? How did they come at, come at that role? And I guess the other thing is knowing that well, looking at me as a perfect example, like what you study, it's not as if you're going to be locked into that for the next 50 years or mm, <laughs> whatever. So like, you, yeah. you know, you, you can always change, move, go out and do a course at nights if you need to for six months to, to, to skill up in whatever new area that you think you, you're interested in. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today, Dr. Tariq. No problem. Don't forget to subscribe or follow this podcast to stay up to date with our current episodes as they are released for season two. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.